It's so funny because I have quite a cool and calm exterior and I'm pretty chilled as a person, but like, my bum's falling out, like I'm so excited. But you can't be a fan when you're chatting to a man on the red carpet. Hello, welcome to This Is My Cinema. Made by the British Independent Film Awards, this podcast is all about shining a spotlight on some very special guests and revealing just how cinema has shaped their lives. I'm Rihanna Dillon. And I'm Michael Leader. And as diehard fans of the cinema, not only do we want to know all about how film has inspired our guests, we want to take a trip with them into their perfect cinema. That's right, in a dream scenario where they've got the keys to a cinema for a night, what are they watching? Where are they watching it? And what are they eating? Today's guest is very much part of the Biffa family. She hosted the red carpet for the British Independent Film Awards and she's a regular behind the microphone at the biggest movie premieres. She's an incredible DJ on Capital Extra and she's also been a part of documentary filmmaking with her film Damilola, The Boy Next Door. And importantly for you, Rihanna, she is a massive Potterhead. That's what I was most excited to hear about from her, let's be honest. So here she is, Yinka Bikini. Yinka, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. So for the duration of our conversation, this is your cinema. And we like to kick things off with this wonderful fairy tale dream situation where you have free run of a cinema for an evening, allowed to show us whatever film you want. What film would you show us if you could show us any film? I think if I had free reign and I'm the king of the castle, so to speak, in our magnificent cinema... I'm gonna have to go with. It's 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 gonna have to be Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. <gasps> oh, Ooh, yeah! I did not see this coming. Yeah. Tell us why. A, I am probably the biggest Potterhead you're ever, ever, ever gonna get <laughs> on on the podcast. I'm a huge, huge Harry Potter fan, and surprisingly. Less people than everyone has seen the saga. So just in case there are a few stragglers who are late to the party, late to get on the boat, or like me, it's a cult fave. It's something that's going to tantalise you enough to watch the other seven movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, it's it's like my childhood, my adulthood, my mother and brotherhood fave. <laughs> <laughs> I am also a huge Potter nerd. Mainly, more the books, though, i got to yeah. be honest. The films are not so, I think, entrenched in me as they seem to... They seem to have, like, imprinted themselves on your DNA from the sounds of it. Can you take us back to, like, the first time that you saw Harry in the cinema and why that was so, so special when you were, what, like, 11 or something? Yeah, so initially, I loved the books. Of course, I, I love... I'm actually listening to them now because I'm that person who does yeah, it every yeah, year. Yeah, 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 every but, year. You know, if you don't have a spare 12 hours, a movie's all right. Like, just to <laughs> re-up on your little pot of knowledge, take a little nostalgic trip back to Hogwarts, so to speak. But Harry Potter was, like, the first film that it was my choice to go and watch it when we had our family cinema trip. So I'm one of seven. And believe it or not, I'm actually not the loudest. So the the more outgoing of the pack got to decide the cinema trips and decide what films we were going to see. And I was very, very strong. I was very, very stubborn in the, we're going to watch Voldemort in the back of Quirrell's head. 
spoiler alert for those in the back <laughs> and um yeah so it was it was one of the first times that my family let me pick the cinema trip and everyone absolutely fell in love and now it's like a christmas tradition in our family like we'll re-watch it you know when it's constantly repeated on telly every year so it's like very nostalgic so i i came to the films a little bit older maybe I didn't watch all of them in the cinema. I actually trailed off about halfway through and only caught up years later. Oh. And you do have, I mean, maybe it's different when I'm, I'm talking to, to two Potterheads here. So maybe <laughs> uh, this is completely sacrilegious. But they do have peaks and troughs in terms of the, some films are better than others. So what, just why Philosopher's Stone then out of the whole saga? Just to Is that just to start at the start and then go on from there or is that actually one of your favorites of the whole of them it's one of my favorites because it's one of the most true to the books but yeah just because it's the start i mean i wouldn't necessarily bore you with the was it is it order of the phoenix no i, lo- I don't like the half-blood prince i can't stand that one really um, yeah or it's order of the phoenix it's one of them that's a really serious book and the mm-hmm. film's a comedy and it just stresses me out mm-hmm. and like the third harry potter so prisoner of azkaban it's just not what the, what the book is. So, you know, that guy had a lot of license with what he was getting up to. <laughs> but that is, seems to be one of people's favourite films out of the whole eight movies. It's when it starts to get dark, isn't it? It's dark, yeah. And so adults kind of feel almost like less embarrassed about watching it because they're like, it's all right, it's got a bit of horror in it. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. But there's something there for everyone. I think it's the Half-Blood Prince that I don't like. I think that's the one that I, I wouldn't... I'll just read the book. Like, I, I even skip over it sometimes when I'm watching it. And I'm, I'm going back to remembering what seeing those films was like for me or my friends who are more into the books what do you think of all the casting do you think they got the casting right i I think that it's a well-known trope and irritation of us who love the harry potter books that they could have just made daniel radcliffe's eyes green like they could they could have just made they could have just done it in cgi like we had giants and massive spiders and we had dragons and flying you could just made his eyes green guys you could you could have just done it but I think the casting was was really, really well done. I did audition many a time to be an extra when I was at school. Like, you know, cheeky little bunk off, running down to Watford. But alas, they didn't see the sparkle in my eyes. That's tragic. That is such a shame. (laughs) So no, I think the the casting was rubbish. (laughs) (laughs) So where are we watching this festive treat? Which cinema have you chosen for your audience? The cinema that I would pick is Everyman Baker Street. Very specific, mm-hmm. but it's my favourite, favourite cinema. Like, I, I love the way everything's laid out. The sofas are really comfy. In winter, they give you blankets. The screen isn't too high up. So if you are unlucky enough to sit in the front, you haven't drawn the short straw. And because it is like that little bit of an expensive cinema, people are actually quiet as well, which yeah. is really nice. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Peckham, so we had Peckham Plex, and it was one ninety nine to watch films. And actually, it was like my 14th birthday or something, and I went to go watch Coach Carter, and the screen just broke. And for like the first half an hour, it was just it was just noise in a black screen. And the manager comes running out, and he's like, you paid a pound, we're just going to start it again, relax. So I don't want, I don't want that sort of treatment, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the disrespect, I mean... I mean, it was a pound though. I'm surprised they could keep the lights on. So in your setup, your family of seven siblings, can you remember the earliest film that you saw at the cinema? And was it at Peckham Plex? It would definitely have been in Peckham, 100%. Hmm. I think one of the earliest films I remember watching 
in the cinema was Toy Story. We probably went cinema before that, but in my memory, I very much remember how big of a deal it was. I very much remember not being confused at recognising the toys' voices. So I was definitely old enough to get it and how groundbreaking it was. I think maybe before that we watched that, you know that random dinosaurs film that nothing much really happens and it wasn't like the land before time or anything. It was like they were just like migrating somewhere. But, you know, it wasn't (laughs) the most interesting thing. But yeah, I think Toy Story was the, the first time I actively thought, wow, like... This is the cinema, yeah. Mm. (laughs) If you're going along with your family and you said that when it was Harry Potter, that was your choice, were you being dragged along to see things you didn't want to see because one of your family members had a very different taste to everyone else? Do you remember any of those experiences? The Jurassic Parks, Defo, my brothers, and Spider-Man. Because I remember when the first Spider-Man came out, and everyone was trying to go cinema, but then we like everyone was under twelve, so they brought out the twelve A rating, mm. and that was because of that film. And I, that my mum was like, "Oh, so now I can bring you to go see it, yay!" And then we all trudged down to go and watch that. I've definitely been dragged to watch, even films that they're mostly cartoons from being a kid when it was like, "Oh my gosh, like Lion King or Aladdin or." But I guess we'd wait for them to come out on VHS back in the day. Did your parents ever get a say? Were they ever allowed to pick a film? Oh, thank God, no. (laughs) My dad used to be obsessive. Like, you know those Sinbad and like Conan the Barbarian with the (laughs) plasticine monsters? And my mum used to watch those old black and white movies. Oh, no, no, no. That was my worst thing. Now I've grown to appreciate them. But when I was younger, a black and white movie Mm. was like time to go to bed like that's the at the end of the day no 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 nope fun's over when you was watching those films did you ever think this is something that i would be interested in doing because obviously you've now made a documentary yourself did you think that from a young age that you thought i could do something creative with film i always had such main character energy when i was a kid i believed that I'd go to the cinema and the director would randomly be there and they'd spot me and they'd be like, you, you're going to star in my next movie. Like, I was that sort of kid who thought I was the Truman Show person. <laughs> um, so I, I always knew that there was something more with film when it came to me. Like, even once the film is finished, I sort of sit in the cinema and look at the credits. Like, and I've always done that. Even if it isn't a Marvel film, I just wait until the end because I'm like, well, everyone made it. And I've had, always had that appreciation for film and the way that it's made. And because I do... I love fantasy, I love fiction, and I love factual films, I love documentaries as well. I really appreciate the differences in different genres of film. So I think deep down I always knew that I would maybe have a deeper connection. And I don't know, I don't think I ever thought about work when I was younger, so I always thought it was all fun and games. But now that I do work in front of the camera and I make films, I'm like, oh yeah, like it definitely was seeded in me from super early. And also because you, you you know, you work so much with music, obviously. So was that prevalent throughout your choices when you were watching film? Did you go thinking, oh, I really want to hear what kind of tunes they got? The soundtrack, was that always playing in your bedroom? Oh, yeah. One of my favourite films is actually the Chicago musical, the Renee Zellweger. Yeah, oh my God, I used to listen to that soundtrack all the time. I I don't really love the film, but the soundtrack. Yeah, but I watched it because my mum got me the DVD. She didn't get me to see these. I just watched the movie. And um, so it became one of my favourite films. And I think 
For me, music makes or breaks a film. It could be the most amazing emotive scene or it could be something that is heartbreaking. It could be like getting you angry, but if it hasn't got the right soundtrack, it just doesn't bring it to life. And I think that a lot of the great movies that we depict as greats anyway, a lot of films that are insanely commercially successful, it's a lot to do with the the music that accompanies it. I mean, I remember listening to the Moulin, um, yeah, the Moulin Rouge soundtrack just over and over and over. And Ewan McGregor hasn't got the best voice in the world, but that soundtrack meant so much more to me than Usher even, yeah. then, which is what I was also listening to at the same time. Music is so in tune with your emotions. So it's definitely a way to pull at people's strings when when you are creating film. Even for the uh, for my first film that I made for Channel 4, for the documentary that I made for them, we got a composer to like, he made like an original score. And I had no idea the difference that it would make in gelling things together. I think that the music when it comes to films can almost bridge the gaps and, and fill in. It's like putty, it just binds everything together, in my opinion. Because if you watch a film that ain't got no music in it, yeah, you'll be looking at the time thinking, wow, all right. Only five minutes in. (laughs) Imagine just dry opening credits. (laughs) When was the last time you watched a film and you felt manipulated almost by the music, where you were like really aware of it? Oh, Cruella. Cruella. Punk kind of. Yeah. I was very aware because it was one of the first films that I watched when the cinemas opened again. And I was like, oh yeah, of course, I'll go watch it. And I, I love Devil Wears Prada. So I was like, cool, I'll, I'll go watch it. And then the music and the renditions, obviously like the punk uh, renditions of really well-known songs, I thought, wow, they, they've got me. They know what they're doing. And I think <laughs> that was the last time that I, I thought, yeah, the music really stands out, but then also complements the film really beautifully. Yeah, of recent times, I'd say that film. So take us back to this. We, we all go through it, the sort of coming of age formative years where you go from going to the cinema with your family and being dragged along maybe you're not choosing what you want to see to then when you maybe just before you become a teenager and then your teenage years where you and your mates or whoever get to choose whatever you want to see what sort of films are you watching then and any highlights that you can remember now that really turned you on to the films you love today well for me one of the first sort of like conscious memories I have of me deciding to go and watch something in the cinema I was way too young I remember trying to dress older, maybe being like 11, 12, to watch Clockwork Orange when it came out. Um, so they, it came out and then they, they re-sort of mm-hmm. released it. I tried to read the book and my mum confiscated it. So I was like, I definitely want to watch this. So me and my mates were like, we're going to go. And that's the first time that A, I just, they were like, no, you're, you're about eight, like, get out of here. <laughs> oh my God, that would have traumatised you so much if you were Now so I'm very glad it didn't work. <laughs> At the time, I was really embarrassed. We literally watched Godzilla or something. Like it was, it was not <laughs> that we went to a different screen. And it was not a good consolation prize. But for me, I've grown up, and there are certain movies that, you know, if I think back to being certain ages, I remember the films. So like Coach Carter, definitely being one of them because I remember like it was me and my friends going to the cinema, and I remember the age of rom coms as well. So I went to the cinema to go and watch How to Lose a Guy in Ten Days. And I went to go and watch He's Just Not That Into You and all of those films like like Friends With Benefits and films like that and horror films as well. So like The Conjuring and Paranormal Activity. And that's when I felt like I was a grown up. Like I was like, yeah, I'm watching a scary film. Like, look at me. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I've always been a big because I go by myself. If no one wants to come with me, I'll just go. I'll just go watch a film. You're kind of watching it in silence anyway. So being alone in the cinema is quite a nice experience because you get to have all this space and sort of experience it with other people. But then you haven't got to be like, oh yeah, I don't know what's happening. I'm watching the same thing as you. I know we shouldn't go in there. You know what I mean? You haven't got to have that. <laughs> when you were in that sort of phase or with your friends, was there like one actor or director that just always drew you to the cinema? Like you'd go and see them in anything? For me, Denzel Washington, I would watch that man cross the road. Like I would watch anything that he's in. If he was selling chewing gum, I would watch the advert. I would do it. So he's definitely a trusted thespian in my experience what is it about his performances that you love so much they're always just consistently amazing I, I think that even from training day to flight to pelham one two three to any film any film that you name of his is like yeah even if you don't know if you love the movie you're like but he definitely did well like he was great in it regardless ray fines obviously because he played voldemort but then also just that i think that he picks really good films and Ryan Gosling as well weirdly I haven't seen a bad film that he's been in so when I was younger like really young my sisters were you know the typical obsessed with because I've got four big sisters and they were typically obsessed with the Brad Pitts and the Leonardo DiCaprio's and stuff and like yeah they're great but for me it's if Meryl Streep is in something I'm gonna give it a go and even Stanley Tucci Mm-hmm. I adore him as well. I think I just like, I want to be everyone's mate. And if I want to be your mate, then I'll like, I'll, I'll buy a ticket to your show. <laughs> Go on, Meryl. <laughs> I think like the combination of Meryl and Stanley on a night out would be a brilliant, like, you'd, you know, you'd have a good time with those two. <laughs> Completely. Like there's, there's certain people that, I don't know, you trust them and you know that for the hour and a half, for the two hours that you're going to be immersed in whatever it is that they're doing, they're not going to waste your time and, and they care. I think in the billion, gajillion, trillion pound business that film is in all of its avenues, people who respect their craft, it shows. I think that's that's one thing that's really great about the Harry Potter series is you know how deep that cast is. Yeah. And you may be a kid and you may be watching it for the first time and then you don't know that you're watching... David Thewlis, Kenneth Branagh, Gary Oldman, etc. Exactly. Uh, but then as you grow older and maybe you, maybe you don't recognise Ray Fiennes without the makeup on in other films, but then you get to know their reputation and then you're set for life. There's a whole bunch of actors that you'll now be watching in other films. That's so true. Like, I, I even, even till now, I'm like, oh my God, it's Mrs. Weasley. Hey! <laughs> or I'll be like, so, so, there's even like a show that's like on the BBC at the moment and someone asked me about the cast and I was like, oh, um, like Aunt Petunia's in it. So like, I'll watch it. Like, yeah. And they yeah, were like, sure. your, your aunt. And I'm like, no, no, Mary Bosch, she's in it. Like, so it's just because you, when you're a kid and you watch these people and you don't realise the actual legends that have lent their time to illustrate and, and make your childhood. Like, Thanks, guys. <laughs> and Yinka, what do you think about, we talked about, music in terms of soundtracks but what do you think about it when pop stars go in front of the camera because i guess a lot of this period we're talking about the 2000s into the 2010s is when you have britney gets a film mariah carey gets a film uh eight mile happens what what's your opinion on on that sort of shift because you know when 
yeah, these, these like superstars of music think they can do anything and then sometimes it doesn't always bear out well on screen, does it? Okay, bar 8 Mile, I'm not a fan of the pop star with the coming of age film. And when I was younger, especially in secondary school, I would just pretend like I was like, yeah, glitter. Ooh, Mariah Carey is great. It's rubbish. No, I, I really don't like them. I think that it's greedy. <laughs> and especially when stars of the musical world take these huge roles that I think someone else could have done a really good job with that. And you're just, you're just pooping on it now. And you're just, you're just like, you're just like stretching your muscles. So even though I love it when film and, and music collide, be it for soundtracks, be it on musicals or whatever, I am not a fan of Beyonce starring in films. I think that she needs to give it. She needs to, and I, and I always say it like when I'm on radio and stuff as well. And like her fans, oh, they get at me. They don't like it when I say <laughs> that. But I, I, I'm, I'm firm in my belief that like, yeah, I'm not. I don't like voicing characters is fine because mm. it's that recognizable and it's cute. And especially if it's Disney or Pixar or another studio and there's songs in it, it makes sense. But serious acting. Come on. I was just going to say, what about a gold member? But that's not really serious acting. But no, that's but not I thought that she it's wasn't good in that either. No. <laughs> we watched it a couple of nights ago. We were both just going, oh, this is, yeah. Did age well? Yeah. It, I mean, for many reasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And yeah, like, oh, I don't know. Like Rihanna in that battleship a Battleship. Movie. Oh, God. Oh, my Lord. That was bad. I'll tell you what, though. I really liked Cisco in Get Over It. And again, Usher in She's All That, I think. Yes. Like, like you know, when they kind of like dip in and out and, you know, they weren't at the kind of like the peak maybe of their stardom, but you're kind of like watching it back and you're like, oh, that was cool. And it, because it wasn't a massive yeah. role. I just, I'm not a fan of, of, I don't know. It's almost like they're just like, I can do what I want. Like, can you? You can, but can you do it well? You know, like... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to rock up and just start pretending that I can act because you have to have respect for it. Like I said, you know, when people mm. respect it. And, and I understand that you have these celebrities and they'll, they'll go to acting classes and they'll, they'll do whatever. But then someone should have told you you're not good. Someone, whoever you went to, to teach you should have been like, oh, do you know what? You ain't got it. You don't. Although I didn't mind Holly Valance in Taken. Oh, oh that's true. Mm. I'm trying to think of any of the other exceptions. I guess... No, Eminem is the. I think he's the exception for me. Yeah, and Lady Gaga and Star is Born. Oh yeah, but come on. She was pretty good. I mean, she's, she's yeah everything, isn't she? Not just yeah. A I mean, she, I'm I'm not even. She's out of this world. I'm not. I'm not even talking about her. <laughs> no <laughs> way. I think I adore her. <laughs> it's mostly Beyonce. I'm talking about. <laughs> we want those fans coming into our mentions now. <laughs> yeah. They, oh gosh, I'm sorry. Like I, I'm. I love the Hive. But the Queen Bee, she should just sing. I'm sorry. I agree. I agree. I'm with you. I've spoken about this, I think, on this podcast before. But I was thinking the first time that I was really excited about going to cinema and the first time that I felt really represented on screen was Bend It Like Beckham. That was a big thing for me to finally see something that vaguely represents. And it wasn't until I saw it that I realised perhaps what I'd been missing. So can you remember the first time that you felt yourself represented on screen? For me, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a weird one. I think that, that question's a bit of a double-edged sword because a lot of the time, the representation comes negatively for somebody like me. We're really heavily represented in Gridiron Gang and like Coach Carter and, and films like that that have like a negative portrayal of people who look like me. So the first time, like I remember Sister Act and I remember 
feeling really good about it because it was the misconception of what it is to be sassy. It's, it was the it was the reasoning behind like even the teenagers being these rude or loud kids and sort of like what they were going through without it being poverty porn, which is also quite stressful. So I think Sister Act is a feel good film that I've always felt represented by. But in, even in terms of like British film, I think as recent as Rocks, I would say, because I think that film is such an accurate portrayal and description of, of what it is to be young and black and, and live in, a, in an urban city in terms of it being built up and like the traditional definition of urban. So, yeah, I think representation for people of colour without it disproportionately being in the negative is still something that's a bit difficult to come by because even like a lot of my friends and, and people that I know, um, are, my brother's an actor, he's in Top Boy and also in a show called Ted Lasso, which is on Apple TV. But like Top Boy doesn't represent me. And even when I think of kidulthood or I think of even like Attack the Block and, and things like that, I just think, oh, it has to, it's always like gang gang, you know. So yeah, I'd, I'd say that the representation is still a bit thin on the ground in terms of positive just viewing without it being like oh what, what was that is it my block I can't remember what it's called or something like that. the Netflix thing where it's like it's very and you're like oh no it hasn't got to go that way you know we can have something that's quite accurate but I, yeah I'd say sister act and then and then rocks so like the hundred years in the middle I'm not sure what happened it's a weird one because you don't realize until you know you look at like winners of Oscars or whatever award show or you look at like the top grossing films and you're like oh where am I it's a weird one speaking of sort of accurately representing something when was the last time that you saw a really good accurate club scene on screen oh no it's always awkward (laughs) oh do you know one of my things that I cringe and I get the you know when you get like goose pimples but like in a bad way yeah is dancing uh, like on on screen like when they dance in films because obviously it's not it's not synced so they're like yeah and they're just like moving all funny <laughs> i would say weirdly enough probably in the heights when they when when they were at the dance because that yeah, looked quite yeah, fun yeah. that did look good <laughs> yeah but then also it was a musical so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I d- did you ever see beats no it was a black and white film. i mean it was only from a what three four years ago maybe but black and white film set in scotland and it was rave was it set in the early 90s and it was so good and I, I i don't know i felt like that really did that was like the an incredible representation of what it w- would have been like i think to be at like an an early 90s rave i really appreciated that film for that my brother collar the actor but he's in like some movie they're in brighton and they're like freestyle battle rappers and oh my gosh the dancing the guys like, like, I watch it because like, obviously you're in it and it's so, like yeah go team woo team bikini let's do it but like I'm watching it and I'm like you're not even none of you even listen to the same song like you're all like <laughs> dancing to the beat of their own hearts bless them um, because it's like you know different I think that's the that, I think those sort of things the, the things that come so naturally to humans dancing and, and having that fun without thinking about it are the most difficult things to represent on camera because mm-hmm. it's all so considered and, it, and it's all so staged and it's lit and it's propped in a certain way so when you get it right it's like spot on 
but like rarely does it happen. And it's so funny nowadays with Twitter and whatever where you can clip out the 30 seconds of the awkward dancing in the background or somebody holding a baby in a very unnatural way showing that it's actually a baby prop rather than a <laughs> real one. It's uh, Exactly. Yeah. Back in the day they could get away with stuff like that a bit more I suppose. But you mentioned the the 100 years almost. Well, I think there's an exaggeration there between <laughs> Sister Act and something like Rocks. But let's bring us up bring us up to the modern day in terms of your taste. You've mentioned a few films from Cruella to Rocks that you would have seen in the last couple of years but if you were just going to go out on a Friday night to the cinema now what sort of thing would you go for? My partner and I we are cinema goers that's like a good date night for us so for me I will consume film even if I get in there and I think it's rubbish I'll stay and I'll, I'll watch it. The last film that I thought yeah, like this great film was like A Quiet Place and then like A Quiet Place 2 because I just think that this it was so different to the traditional Eddie seat sort of thriller, sort of jumpy horror. And I think clever ways of reimagining something that you believe you've seen before, you know, the alien invasion and stuff like that. I'm really glad that I waited to sort of watch that on the big screen because I don't think you'd get the same effect if you were watching your laptop or even at home watching it on telly because very much the noises and stuff and I actually went to a screening of The Quiet Place and the studio they were so it was so great like we had marshmallows to eat because obviously popcorn's loud and I thought that's a great touch but like no little things like that so I was very aware of the of my sparkling water (laughs) as I was watching it and stuff so I think that a film that feels like an experience that you're entrenched in the story is really good I think one of the last films that I was completely enthralled by was 1917 I think it is because you know that scene on on the beach and it's like shot in one when he's running and then his body's flying and then there's like bombs going off and and then I watched it on like this morning or something they did the behind the scenes and this dude is running for time and then you've got an extra who falls down and he gets up and then he goes to be another extra and I just thought that choreography is so gorgeous that it really worked when you watched it and you were just I was just in it yeah that's an amazing I yeah 1917 I think the behind the scenes is as much a film <laughs> yeah. as the feature yeah actually completely and when the story of how they make something is just as interesting or captivating as as the finished product you know that it was like a labor of love and it wasn't just a contract so it must be a, a real privilege for you then in your work with Biffa to actually get to speak sometimes to the people who are making these films go behind the scenes whether red carpets or juries or whatever it is celebrating their craft Oh, completely. It's so funny because I have quite a cool and calm exterior and I'm pretty chilled as a person, but like, my bum's falling out. Like, I'm so excited. And I, but you can't like, be that, you can't be a fan when you're chatting to a man on the red carpet. But I love it and I think that it's just as important talking to the runners and the producers and the directors and the writers as it is speaking to the cast because they've come together and they've created something and one is nothing with, without the other. Which is why I think that my work with Biffa and working with just the organisation on a whole is amazing because you really get to see what goes into the hour and a half that people spend with these characters even on some of the juries you've made up your mind and you're like yeah well you know it's it's Anthony Hopkins what do you mean and then but when you hear like stories and processes and maybe even check your own biases that you don't know that you have you're opened to just a whole new, new level of understanding and also appreciation for how inexplicably tough it is to make a good film things that us as 
mere mortals who go and go and buy some popcorn and go watch a film are not privy to or don't even necessarily understand but if it wasn't for someone tweaking that one line or like putting that comma there or shifting the light or being like oh can you just turn your body or let's do that one more time that may not be your favorite film and you don't even know it and I find that so mind-blowingly interesting. That's a beautiful way of putting it. So you, you like to sit through the credits. So is there one person in the credits, like one role that if you could, you'd want to spend a day shadowing or walk through their shoes, walk in their shoes for one day? I think maybe a runner because mm. I think they're like the thread that goes through and gets everyone there on time. But you know anyone? Like I'll go with the dog walkers. I don't mind. I think the stunt department would be. absolutely incredible especially when you'll watch a film and it's you know not particularly exciting and there's like 18 people on stunts and I'm like what do they do I'd love to be a fly on the wall with castings as well just to see what it looks like when the star of a film walks in and they don't even know it I think that would be bloody brilliant I'd be like yeah you got the role hey (laughs) 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 yeah because I've I've been on the other end of auditioning for things and being super nervous about it and, you know, absolutely having no sort of the foggiest clue if you've got a role or not. So to just know what the conversations are when you walk out of a room. Do they decide there and then? And there's like 30 people in the waiting room? What's happening? Like, I, I'd love to know the process behind that. We talked, we've, you know, we've thrown some big names around, but can you remember the last time you watched a film where you really felt like you were discovering a performer in a smaller independent film and you're like oh I need to keep an eye on them because they're gonna be huge do you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look for the name of this film because yes so Dominic Fishback yeah who obviously is a rising absolute superstar Mm -hmm. did this super tiny film that you can it's like on Amazon and it's it's like a coming of age film where she gets out of prison night comes on right yes I watched that film a couple of months ago and when I was watching it, I was like, oh, it's okay, like, it's fine. Because, you know, it's, it's very much, like, in real time and it's just, like, her and her sister. And you, But then when it was finished and I thought... Because I thought I was watching a series and then it ended and I was like, oh, so what happens next? Or, you know, and just the dynamic with her and her little sister and then obviously the father. And for me, I'm, like, a true crime maniac. So that element of the aftermath of something horrific happening and who's left to pick up the pieces. And you kind of get to know all of the characters in that film simply because she isn't perfect. So it's not our our antagonistic protagonist who, you know, is hard done by. It's like, you know, actually it's a very flawed individual who, yes, you're rooting for her, but like, what about her 11-year-old sister? How has her father lived with the guilt of what he did to their mother? So I think that was, that's the last time I felt like I was engrossed in a film and I and then even though it's not close to home in terms of the the subject or like the content but just the dynamic of family I think it just had a really real ring to it and I think that she is like Dominique is incredible was that before or after you saw Judas and the Black Messiah it was before before Mm -hmm. yeah it was before it was before that must have been very cool and then when I saw Judas and and the Black Messiah I was like hey I know her (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, so because I feel like sometimes you've got certain actors who you may not realise that their ascent has begun and you've just been introduced to them and you're like, oh my God, this is my secret, like I've discovered this person. And then they're in like the film that scoops the most Oscars and you're like, oh, everyone else knows too. Yeah, 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 oh. I know. 
and you're really pleased for them but also a little bit gutted because you yeah. know that they're now going to be everywhere and they're not your little yeah because anymore. we all want ownership <laughs> i think i had that experience with dominic fishback coming home from watching Jews and the Black Messiah and seeing she's always been cast in the next Transformers movie yes. or something. <laughs> I had All that right, with, everyone um... else knows as well. <laughs> Are we coming to the big question, Michael? So let's recap. So we're watching Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone yes. at Everyman Baker Street. Yes. Maybe we can provisionally book out the, ne- the few evenings, the week and a half afterwards for the same time for the rest of the franchise as well, if people want to come back. Like a cheeky I mean, pot-a-thon. We can do anything for you, Yenko. Oh, babes. But the big question, the controversial question, most divisive question is, what are we eating and drinking oh. in the cinema screen, if anything? What do you mean, if anything? It's going to be parched. Well, some people are really like complete purists. No drink, no food. They don't like anything in there. Sounds like punishment. It, well, exactly. <laughs> so what, what, what would you allow? Okay, so like you can do whatever you want to do. You know, I'm, I'm not... It's fine. You you can like you can feel free to like snack it up. You know, bring rice if you don't mind. Bring rice. It's up to you. If you're hungry, you didn't have dinner. It's cool. For me, what I'm eating is I I don't really like drink juice in that. I do like a coffee. So probably like a latte of some sort. Oat milk. Go on. You twisted my arm. My favorite go-to snack is one that I stole from my best friend because one time I went to eat some of her popcorn and it had other things in it and it frightened me because this wasn't the you know when you, you think something's one thing and then you're like, oh my God, I've been poisoned. But no, it was delicious. It is sweet and salted popcorn, staple cinema snack. You, you're going good. But then the kicker is you get some minstrels and you just pour them in. Isn't that yours, Michael? You do that. I, I do like a bag of minstrels. I don't, I've never tried them together. Try, but... Do you know what? On your first foray, just just double dip it. And see how you feel. <laughs> and, then if, and then if you're feeling confident, then just get rid of the menstrual pack and just pour that bad boy in there. And then it's just like a party and then you're watching the film. You haven't even got to concentrate. Just there. <laughs> you're watching it and sometimes you've got a chocolate. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, and it sounds so basic, but it is it's very fantastic. It's very delicious. It's absolutely delicious. It's delicious. What if you mixed it in with Bertie Bott's Every Flavour Beans and then... <gasps> That what happens be... if you get like a toenail flavoured one? That would be a shock and a half, wouldn't it? Yeah. You've got, you got to pretend. It's like, oh, mm, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, do you know what? Speaking of Harry Potter snacks, yeah, I know I'm digressing, but can we just clear up a rumour? Because in the books, they eat the chocolate frogs and in the movie, it's a frog and it jumps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do they just eat the frog in the book? Like, is it a chocolate? <laughs> and the movie just said it was a frog because it's like, it's freaked me out. <laughs> Every time I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, they bit the head off. Okay, that's nice. I think they got confused with like peppermint toads and chocolate frogs because peppermint toads like jump about in your stomach. Yeah. And I think the chocolate frogs are just chocolate frogs, right? It's just the same. It's like, and then they just like sort of conflated yeah, like the two. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, you listening? Just so you <laughs> got that wrong. All right, thanks. <laughs> now we've cleared that up. I feel good, guys. <laughs> we've gone to such depths in this chat. Yinka, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
that was so lovely it took me back to being 10 years old and inhaling Harry Potter books and then being so excited to see the films and always being just a little bit disappointed because they weren't exactly what I pictured in my head I know but also Yinka was just so enthusiastic about those films it makes me kind of want to go back and rewatch mm-hmm. them myself maybe there's something in those Chris Columbus Harry Potters that I've been missing <laughs> all these years uh, so great to have her on the show also fab to have a shout out to the Peckham Plex an institution in South London it was my local cinema when I first moved to London I saw some great films there I remember Friday night seeing John Wick Django mm-hmm. Unchained was a great film I saw there as well. Amazing. I had the privilege of seeing Fifty Shades of Grey there, which was an experience <laughs> I don't necessarily want to repeat, but it was an experience I won't ever forget. <laughs> That's what you want from the cinema. <laughs> so if that episode with Yinka got you curious about other cinematic origin stories, make sure you check back in our feed for any episode you might have missed, including Loki's Wumi Masaku, Lucifer's Tom Ellis, and the lovely Reggie Yates. Thanks for listening. Bye. This is My Cinema is a Little Dot Studios production for Biffa. The show is hosted by Rihanna Dillon and Michael Leader. It's produced by Jake Cunningham, Ellie Aitken and Harold McShiel. And we're edited by Content is Queen. Content is Queen.